This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. I'm trying to elevate small talk to medium talk. Hi, I'm Alexander Chester, and I really think I've found the perfect sock. Yeah, I was going to use that. <laughs> uh, yes! <laughs> the first time that's happened? Uh, it might. And I'm Obstinensky, and a guy who gets laid a lot doesn't appreciate sex as much as I do. Welcome back to Pretty, Pretty, Pretty Good, a Curb Your Enthusiasm podcast. We are here today to discuss Season 3, Episode 3, Club Soda and Salt, which originally aired on September 29th, 2002. I'm very excited for this episode. I mentioned at the end of last week's podcast. I remember a lot about this episode. There's a lot of good stories here. Uh, we also have a continuation from an open-ended story last week that you wondered, which is that they asked for ketchup from the chef, and there was no payoff on that. So why don't we jump right into the recap, because it really is a, a story that really follows serially from where we ended off last week. Yeah, there almost should have been a to-be-continued at the end of last week's episode. I don't, yeah. That would be a, uh, a curb first. Okay, so we are at home, and Larry walks in, and Cheryl is hanging out with a fellow named Brad, who is regaling her with hilarious audition stories from his career. Cheryl is having the jolly old good old time, laughing it up. Larry uh, is looking a little suspiciously at this. Um, He makes it sound like, oh, you know, maybe I'll go excuse myself upstairs, since you two seem to be having so much fun here. I don't want to get in the way. But um, Brad says, actually, it's time for me to go anyway. So, you know, bye. Um, so he, uh, he leaves and Larry says, you know, maybe I'll go find a, uh, a nice straight woman to play golf with me. Uh, Cheryl starts to wonder if Larry's maybe a little bit jealous. And Larry says, no, I'm not jealous, but you're naive if you think this guy just wants to play tennis with you. Obviously, his end game here is to sleep with you. Yeah. Cheryl thinks that's ridiculous. Brad is just my friend. But in any event, I wouldn't be playing tennis with him if you would play tennis with me. So Larry says, fine, I'll play tennis with you. Yeah. Now, you know, Larry's clearly right here. Like, if I had this type of relationship with a woman, I don't think my wife would be so wild about it. Yeah. But on the other hand, if Cheryl really genuinely just wants to, you know, to play tennis with Larry, Larry sort of walked into this one. Is that what the kids are calling it these days? I think Larry would almost rather his wife cheat on him than him have to play tennis with her every week, right? Yeah, I mean, although he looked like he's having a good time. What are we going to see him play a little bit later? Yeah, he's surprisingly good at tennis for someone who we've never seen play tennis before. Yeah, I, yeah, I was surprised that like this was even on the table. That, like, yeah, which is also true, tennis. by the way, in Seinfeld, where they only play tennis like once with Milos, but yet they seem to be quite good. Uh, everyone, you know, Jerry and Elaine. Not Milos. Yeah, not Milos so much. Ironically, the only person who plays tennis more than once ever is the worst ever. 
Yes. Um, okay, so we're uh, we're over at the restaurants, and Larry and Jeff are admiring the progress that they're making on this project. And they mentioned that the restaurant is scheduled to open up in three weeks. Larry tells Jeff about the whole deal with Brad. Um, as they're talking, one of the workers is passing by with some boxes and bumps into Larry and Jeff. Oh, sorry, bumps into Jeff and causes his coffee to spill and stain the couch. The, uh, the restaurant manager who we met in the last episode, he immediately springs into action. He calls for club soda and salt from the episode's title so he can perform what he calls an old restaurant trick to clean stains using club soda and salt. Uh, have you tried club soda and salt? Uh, no, I've never tried it. Oh, I've tried it many times. I have not had nearly the same level of success. Yeah, I would imagine. <laughs> I mean, they sell like high-grade cleansers. Like they wouldn't do that if you could just use club soda and salt and it fixed everything. Well, but I mean, but it is a real thing, I think. It just, you know. Yeah, but like it's not getting out like a coffee stain or like a cranberry juice stain. That's crazy. Well, but it does on the up. So you're saying that the episode is fake news? I would say so. I don't. I mean, I I didn't test it. Maybe there's. Is there? You think there's like a Penn and Teller bullshit about this episode? Well, no. I mean, I think. Look, there's many stains that I can't get out that professional cleaning people can get out using the same equipment as I can. So you know, it's it's not just having the materials. It's also knowing how to do it correctly. And for whatever reason, I have not had that success. Right. But I have tried this before. Okay. Unfortunately, with uh, not not quite the same level of success. Not good results. Okay. Um, so Randy, the chef, arrives. We met last week. And he says, I just want to let you guys know, um, I can't do this. Um, between the ketchup and the almost poisoning someone with the peanuts, um, he just feels very insecure. Like, he sucks at being a chef. And he's having a lot of anxiety because this is going to be like a celebrity restaurant. And it's going to get reviews and critics. And he's, he can't handle the pressure. So he's getting out of the kitchen. Yeah. Now I have a lot of issues and it's really throughout this episode, but it starts with this scene with the management of this restaurant. So Jeff and Larry joined a group of investors who were already in place for a restaurant that had already found a location and had found a chef and they were well on their way Manager and and a manager. So like Larry and Jeff, I would assume came in, you know, wrote a couple of checks should be relatively low on the totem pole. Like when Randy thinks that he needs to tell somebody that he's quitting, he thinks the only two people he needs to tell are Larry and Jeff. Not the manager. Yeah, he should, be, he should be going to the manager. Oh, yeah. Not the initial investor or someone else who hired him or recruited him. It's just these two bozos who just showed up on the team and, and, and had him over for dinner a couple weeks ago. Very odd. Yeah, it's a weird operation. The, uh, and, we... and then Ted joins in in the next scene. And now, apparently, Ted gets to select a new chef. And the only two people he needs to convince are Larry and Jeff. Again, they don't have to tell the manager. They don't have to tell the other investors. The two people who Ted has to bring over to dinner to convince him are going to be Larry and Jeff. So the three of them are you know the three of them are running this restaurant entirely apparently yeah it would be helpful if hbo could do like uh inside the hbo type thing where we can get like an organizational chart of this restaurant so we could like it's the reporting structure is very unclear yes it really it really doesn't make a lot of sense i mean i i guess it's possible that larry and jeff came in and were like the major investors and each own like 50 percent or something and and michael york and everyone else are just you know nominally involved but it seems like they were about to open the restaurant before Larry ever showed up. So Yeah, and even if they were putting in more of the money, just like the way – since this was like an existing deal with all these people in it, like they would still probably just be passive. Uh, yes, yes. Yeah. Well, Again, we, some, I, they are not the ones who hired Randy. So Randy should tell someone else before he uh, <laughs> shuffles off. Uh, yeah, as far as like the actual manager of the restaurant is concerned, Rand, the chef is still on board because he hasn't yeah, No, the manager's anything. only role is the clean stance. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah. So Ted overhears what's going on. He comes over. They start scrambling. We need to find a chef. We only have three weeks. 
Ted suggests that there's this chef named Josh who sometimes come over to their house to cook for them. And why don't uh, Larry and Jeff come over to his house and like Josh will cook them a meal and they'll see how they like it. And maybe Josh could be the new uh, chef for the restaurant. Um, yeah, this is something I look forward to when being a celebrity is that they all seem to have these chefs that personal chef. Yeah. yeah oh, we're but, having people over for someday. Let's let's have it catered by the, like some chefs. Yeah. Great. But, but what kind of like, what is the cuisine of this restaurant? Because I would assume that when you're opening a new restaurant, sort of the main, like the number one, re- the purpose of the restaurant, why are you opening this restaurant? It's because of either the chef or the cuisine. And neither one of those seem to be very relevant here. They just need somebody who knows how to cook food. Right. Well, Larry just wants to be able to walk around and ask the patrons how they like of the, course. the food. Yes. He, so he wants to talk to strangers. Restaurant. So he doesn't really care what the food is as long as he can talk to the strangers. Yes. Um, yeah. So everyone agrees that that's what they'll, uh, that's what they'll do. Um, Larry walks past the, the couch and he sees, oh, lo and behold, the uh, club soda and salt trick has worked like a charm and the coffee stain is gone. So good news. It works. So it's uh, later in the day or the next day and we're at the tennis courts and Larry and Cheryl are waiting to play. Cheryl asks about how's the place for your parents? This is like a very weird exchange. And Larry says, oh, I'm getting them another place. Uh, ta- they talk about how his mother is going in for treatment. Hopefully she'll get better. And Larry's practicing tennis, hitting the ball against the wall. Cheryl says, if you hit me with the ball, I'm going to kill you. And as they're hanging out, another couple walks up and Cheryl greets them. It turns out these are a couple named Melanie and Ed. Ed refers to Larry as Lawrence. They exchange very brief pleasantries. It's a little bit awkward. As soon as they walk away, they comment on how weird that was. Cheryl says, you know, she acted like I I don't even know her. Larry says, when's the last time you spoke to her? She says, I think about three months. And what they realize happened is that this couple got married about a year ago and we never gave them 14 a months, present. 14 yeah. months it turns out. And that's what they must be upset about. And what kind uh, of asshole snubs someone because of a wedding president present, especially after they've already flown halfway across the country to a 10 year wedding, as Larry will later say, we're already into you like for 5,000, 5,500 bucks. Yeah. Like they obviously just like forgot, like they weren't like, yeah. or, or it, just it, like whatever. It wasn't, yeah, it wasn't like Larry and, and Cheryl don't like them because they went to a big effort. And it's not like Larry and Cheryl can't afford it. So it's clearly just forgotten. And yeah. so to, to have this animus towards them just seems absurd. Yeah, Larry's, and Larry's thinks it's ridiculous. Like, how they can hold a draw? I mean, after all, like you said, we flew out to Chicago for their wedding. Like, what's going on here? Yeah. Um, oh, by the way, I, I do have an important update before we get to that. Yes. A Scientific American article. How yeah. does club soda remove red wine stains? So we're going to chemist Pete Wishnock of the – Massachusetts Institute of Technology. So we're really using uh, the greatest minds we have on this issue. So the question is, you know, does club soda, they don't even need salt here apparently, does club soda get out red wine stains? Some experiments show that club soda does not work very well, while others indicate it is very good at removing red wine. So the evidence is mixed. (laughs) All right, not a great conclusion there. Uh, Now they go into the scientific explanation about carbon dioxide and acid-base indicators, and I don't really care about any of this stuff. the conclusion is, oh, so this chemist's conclusion is, if club soda works, plain water probably works as well. Ah, so that means it doesn't work. Yes. Either I mean, way, or... Yeah. Either way, the stain is gone. If it doesn't work, then a commercial stain removal product might save the day. In addition, okay. It's probably, okay. So basically, yeah, this, this article is completely worthless. <laughs> so it is a thing that people say works. Oh, that I know. Yeah. <laughs> 
but whether it works or not, yeah, I don't really know. So I really right. did not, I did not provide a lot of uh, help here. Fair enough. Okay. I interrupted well, you for nothing. No, it's all good. We got some more info. Okay. So Cheryl says, all right, let's just go get him a gift. Larry says, why not a car? <laughs> and Cheryl. Uh, Which by the way, it, w- it wouldn't affect Larry at all if he did buy this guy. A car. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we see them play. We get like a little montage. Um, not surprisingly, Cheryl's a lot better than Larry, but Larry's at least holding his own. Um, Larry asks Cheryl why she grunts every time she hits the ball and if she please stop. It's annoying and it's throwing him off. Cheryl Sounds like jokes. fucking. <laughs> yeah. Oh, she says, oh, is that why you're losing? Um, Larry, he, you know, he does a demonstration of the pig's fucking noise and both of his two serves go out and Cheryl takes the sets. Um, imagine saying that to your wife. <laughs> that her sounds from playing tennis sound like pig's fucking? Yeah, yeah. I don't think she would like it. <laughs> and also, why is Larry wearing a jacket while playing tennis? Yeah, Larry like a windbreaker. Yeah. Well, he he couldn't wear a polo shirt because then people would say, "Well, you, you should yeah. be playing golf." <laughs> yeah, you know, can't you can't wear that to do any other activities? Yeah. Um, you so, get yeah. pretty sweaty yeah. playing t- uh, tennis usually. Yeah, although maybe you know Larry's type might he's not probably the type who's like running baseline to baseline. Yeah, <laughs> Larry and I have different tennis styles. Yeah, he's probably but, you know. But if it's it comes very... to me, I hit it back. If it doesn't yeah. come to me, it's your point. Maybe that's why he he lost and he shouldn't blame yeah. it on the. Although ball. yeah, we saw, we saw him getting some tough shots in the quarters and stuff. So. Yeah, no, he he seemed he seemed probably better than me, frankly. Yeah, he could move. Yeah. So anyway, so we uh, we head back home. Larry says that he has found the perfect sock. It's not exactly white. Uh, he sees that Cheryl's not at all interested in what he has to say about his socks. He's surprised that she's bored. He says, you know, if you said to me, I found the perfect pair of socks, I would say, no kidding. Where'd you get them? What are they like? I would want to know more about these perfect socks. Yeah. Mr. Pitt also in Seinfeld was very obsessed with this issue. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I guess we could, we know where that came from. Yeah. The, the socks. <laughs> yeah. It's always good when you could be like, ah, okay. That's like, that's a Larry David nugget. Yeah. Um, Cheryl says uh, she's thinking of going to see the play Tony and Tina's wedding on Friday. Larry wonders if she's meaning to include him in this. He, he says, sure. I just didn't know if you would be interested. He says, I am interested. Um, she says, you know, it's this type of thing where like the actors mix in with the audience. I didn't know if you would like that. He says, sure. Why would I not like that? Um, which, you know, I could see why he would not like it. But yeah. Larry says, well, what is it that makes you want to see it anyway? She says, well, I heard good things. And also, oh, Brad by the is way. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, this makes Larry extremely suspicious. Uh, he says, you know what? Why don't you go see it alone? But uh, says, I don't think suspicious is the right word. I think Larry's overjoyed. He's so overjoyed to for once have something over Cheryl, you know? Interesting. I didn't quite have that read. but I, I think he's happy that Cheryl is in trouble, and he sort of takes joy and pleasure in it, in catching Cheryl, as it were. Interesting. Okay, I like that. Um, he says, you know, she says, no, I, I want to go both with us. Larry gets very fixated on the fact that she originally framed it as I'm thinking of going as opposed to we. Cheryl says she was using the assumed we, which yeah. is not a thing. <laughs> and if anything, Nobody, it's a thing that Larry would have tried to claim as a thing. Yeah, there's no way. I mean, I guess you could say there's like, I'm thinking I was going. And of course, I would love for you to come so I could potentially we. But if you're not interested, then I'm still going to go. Yeah. Uh, but still, there's no like assumed we when you say I. Yeah. <laughs> um, you mean and, we? Yeah. You so basically, we. she's like, Larry, you're reading too much into this. There's nothing going on between. Uh, I, not that he thinks there's something going on, but he thinks that clearly Brad would be interested in sleeping with her. Yeah. Which, and again, I think he, he mostly, probably would. Yeah. And I think he mostly wants to tease Cheryl. But like Cheryl does such a bad job here. Like Cheryl should have said, hey, Larry, my friend Brad is putting on the show. I would like to go 
to, uh, to show support for him. Not, oh, I heard good things, and by the way, Brad's in it. Like, Cheryl right. is acting the way she'd be acting if she was having an affair with Brad. Right, yeah, she's, she's suspicious about it. Which I think is why Larry is so enjoying having caught her in it. Yeah, that's fair. Okay, I like your read. Um, so Cheryl says, no, I really want, want you to come with me, and I'll do pretty much anything to convince you <laughs> to come. She starts making a move on him when they yeah. accidentally knock over a glass of cranberry juice, cranberry juice that spills on the floor. Um, having just learned this magical trick earlier in the day, Larry's very excited to show it off to Cheryl. He thinks this will be a turn-on of some of sorts. And I don't think he to... thinks it's a turn-on. I think that he's excited about it. Well, he's excited he, about it. But he I has think, stopped caring about Cheryl. But I think when he comes back, he's like, all right. Yeah. Like, we he got thinks a couple like, minutes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but also like, look at this like very impressive thing that I just did. Yeah. Um, so I mean, it, off... I love this scene, though. I love how Larry sort of masterfully, masterfully converts the get your wife into trouble into sex only to botch it over the stain. Right. But I also love how like non-reciprocal this is. Like I've imagined a situation in your life where your wife is really, really pissed at you for something and you say, all right, how about if I have sex with you, then you won't be mad at me anymore. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't work all that yeah. way. It really doesn't work in that direction. Yeah. Yeah. It's unfair advantage. Yeah. The patriarchy that we live in. Yeah. It's, yeah. They, could, they have a lot of power that yeah. uh, doesn't get spoken <laughs> enough about. Yeah. Uh, Anyway, so, uh, yeah, he runs off to retrieve it. He does the demonstration, tries to resume the sex with Cheryl, but she's over it now and is ready to go to sleep. Yeah, and I, I love how she – I love her, like, how angry she is at Larry for even thinking there was still a chance. Yeah, she's yeah. like, please, like, no, you, yeah. you missed your moment. I've experienced that before as well. Uh, by yeah. the way, why don't Larry and Cheryl, who live in this enormous house, have such a tiny bed? That's a good in the scene, that bed yeah. is at most a double. It's definitely not a queen. Yeah, probably not. Yeah, you need. Yeah, you, I mean, a guy like Larry should be having at least a king bed, if not oh, like, sure. if not yeah. like two full beds. I know people who have two full beds together. It looks ridiculous, but it's probably amazing. Isn't a king equivalent to? Oh no, a king is no a king is like two twins. Oh, what's a, oh, I don't know how these things work. Yeah, a full is like one and a half times a yeah. twin. Well, so like I've a, seen some people for like sort of um, you know reasons of, of of marital religious tradition who have the two fulls side by side in their room, and yeah, it looks yeah, yeah. ridiculous. That's, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, it yeah. takes up the whole room. It looks but, ridiculous. But yeah, you have a lot. You have a very large bed, though. Yeah, well, you don't really need it. You yeah. don't really need it. Although I will say, when I'm in a hotel room with my wife, and they'll always say like, you know, do you want a king or two queens? I always say, let's go for the two queens, because then you can make one bed as dirty as you want and move to the next bed, and who cares? Oh, is that a euphemism? <laughs> I, it could be anything. You could be eating in the bed and making a mess. The point is, you don't have to worry about, like, ordinarily, you don't want your bed to be dirty, because then you're going to have to sleep in it at the end of the night. Right. But if you have another perfectly made queen bed right next to it, whether tucked or not tucked, you know. Yeah, I like going to king, because when I'm on vacation, I want to feel like a king. Yes, I like to feel like a queen, so... All right, so we, uh, we're over at, at Ted's house. Larry and Jeff are there to do the taste test. They get introduced to Josh. He's very excited for the opportunity. Larry's annoyed. A little too excited, I think. Yeah, Larry's annoyed that Ted told Josh that like he's basically auditioning for a job. He should have just kept it casual as if like these are just friends over for dinner. So that way it's like a more uh, a real test and like he doesn't get too uh, invested in it. Yeah, and I 100% agree with him. Larry here. Like when a when a critic a, a restaurant critic goes to a restaurant, he doesn't say to the chef, "Well, by the way, I'm a critic from the New York Times." Yeah, except like if you're Josh, you would want to know like you know put on, you know I'm having this friend over and we're doing this for a restaurant like do your like do a great job like he would be upset if you found out afterwards like oh by the way that was a job interview. Yeah, I guess it's a little bit different. Yeah, because you're not trying. Yeah, that's fair. Like like you, you should know like you you want to like really impress these people because you could get like a great job out of it. Yeah, I guess that's true. But yeah, I think he should have said that rather than told them that you're specifically auditioning for a restaurant. 
Right. Okay. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Also, um, I would assume if you're if you're preparing food to show for a restaurant, you wouldn't cook one dish. You'd cook, you know, like multiple different appetizers and various courses. Here, they just seem right. to have like a piece of chicken, right. basically. Or meat. yeah, you want you want to show that you could like create like cook a, a wide variety of things. Yeah. Maybe this restaurant only has one item on the menu. Yeah, and we just Again, know it's not nobody's, kebabs. Nobody's going here for the food. So. Yes, they're, just, they're going so that they can have Larry David come talk to them. Yeah, that and the waiters' uniforms, you know. <laughs> right. The, the bells. It's, it's, yeah, it's a, it's a mess hall vibe. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so Larry asks Jeff to pass the salt, and he's putting some on. And he gets a glare from Ted, which I guess this is supposed to kind of like be the same as the ketchup. But like, again, this doesn't come bad. back. Yeah, it's, it's definitely not as bad. bad. Salt but, is definitely fair game um but yeah this doesn't really come up again so unclear um larry comments on jeff's new shirt which we learned his mom bought for him again a random throwaway line (laughs) for some reason um ted asks what they think of the food jeff says it's great larry says it's eh ted accuses larry of coming in with a bad attitude and jeff says really larry knows nothing about food and they debate who knows more about food. Is it a fat person or a skinny person? Jeff says he has more experience with food, so therefore he knows more about food. Um, I'm sympathetic to that argument. Larry says that's bullshit and that a guy who gets laid a lot doesn't appreciate sex as much as Larry would, who has sex less frequently. So much, in much the same vein, someone who doesn't eat as often will appreciate food more than someone who's just like, constantly eating everything. Yeah, Larry has a stronger argument here, and he like, gives like the worst. He sort of almost argues against himself with his analogy. His analogy yeah. isn't necessary. He should just say that thin people are discerning and don't just eat anything. They only eat the best things. Like, that's all you need to say. Right, yeah. The sex I argument still, sort of backfires on him. Yeah, people who don't have sex still, a lot would have sex more if they could get the opportunity to have sex. Right, yeah. No, I would still trust the fat person's opinion on food more than a skinny person. So that, that is your take. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I agree with the Jeff take. Yeah. I don't know. I think I, I'm, I'm really torn on this one because I think if somebody's, like, too thin and, and too focused on how they look, then they don't care about food at all and then you don't want their opinion. But if somebody's too fat, then you think they don't care at all and they just eat anything on the opposite side. Yeah, except that's not really true. So I think you want I think you want your I'm going for my food experts, somebody with a decent sized stomach, but not like, you know, morbidly so. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> Deal. Uh, <laughs> all right. So Larry Although, says, I will say this. Um, I'm in a chat. I think you're yeah, you're in the chat, which discusses restaurants among other uh, yeah. you know uh, vices. Y- y- I don't know if a restaurant's a vice per se, but no. sometimes when I'm recommending to my wife um, where we, you know, where we should go, and I've asked that group, I will say to her as a, so I actually realize I actually disagree with myself because when it comes trying to convince her, I'll say to her, "This is a restaurant that all my fat friends say is really good." Yeah, <laughs> I use that exact words to her. So, um, anyway, yeah, fat people really like food. <laughs> they know we know, we know food. I'm yeah. fat. I'm not fat, fat, but. I like no, food. No, yeah, there's, there's, there's larger people in that group. There are larger people than me in the group. Yeah. Um, okay, so Larry <laughs> says, anyway, um, we have to find a chef that we all agree on. Ted says, fine, then you should be the one to tell Josh. Yeah. By the way, again, insane that the three people who need to agree on the chef for the <laughs> right. restaurant are Jeff, Larry, and Ted. Those are the only three that need to agree. Yeah, and also, like, the whole plan was we're all going to come, and if we all like it, then we're going to do it. But, like, they, they should be pissed at Larry now that he doesn't like it. He thought it wasn't a good meal. Yeah, but, but obviously Ted feels personally insulted because Ted is very personally invested here. Ted yeah, is not an then, objective uh, person in this circumstance. Although, actually, Ted should be pissed because he doesn't want to lose his personal chef, right? Yeah, although I guess, you know. This is a negative he, for him. Unless he's he's just willing to, I friend. guess. Yeah, maybe he really likes Josh and thinks he's great. And like, like when you have a cleaning lady, as we'll learn in Curb, no less, you don't want to share her if she does a good job because then you lose her. 
right? And that's you know, true. So yeah, so it's I guess it's very magnanimous. Ted is a real good person, I guess. But yeah, but Ted clearly suspects that this opposition is just sort of a continuation of the Larry Ted rivalry. Right. He's he's still uh, he just doesn't want to give him the win. Yeah, these are um, people who are friends, but have never had a positive interaction with each other ever. Right. And it's not even like Richard Lewis where you can say, well, they were, you know, they have a long history of being friends because we see when they first meet each other, their first date going bowling in season one. Yeah. Right. They're for sure. At least for, you're just getting to know them. Then, yeah, yeah. And since that point, every interaction between the two of them is quite negative. Right. But Larry likes Mary and uh, Cheryl likes Ted. So they say, uh, yeah, they'll put up with that. They put up with each other. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So Larry tells Josh that the food was good, but just not right for the restaurant. He thinks it was a little too saucy, but <laughs> Um, we'll still have some dessert and coffee if that's okay. such such a great line delivery, saucy. Yeah, too saucy. and then no, and then yeah, and then he says, "Well, I guess dessert is out of the question." And Larry's like, "No, no, no. <laughs> we'll have dessert." Yeah, and not only that, he then he says, "And do you have decaf?" I thought that was almost a little insulting to the chef that he's like, "Shouldn't there be a waiter?" Also, there should be someone in between the chef and the uh, and the patrons here. No, I guess. Although I get, you know, this is probably just how you know he Ted Danson is paying fancy for like schman- sh- if this is some fancy schmancy chef who's going to run this big Hollywood restaurant. He shouldn't. Uh, that kind of person, I would imagine, would be insulted to be asked to make a couple. Yeah. Things. So you know what? I'm going to say, um, Ted got this kid a little bit over in his head. He he's not a great chef. His food is too saucy. He doesn't saucy. even uh, have a waiter a waiter that works with him when he cooks food in people's homes. Yeah. So maybe you know Larry's right. This guy's not. He's not a mature, the proper just, material. If Randy freaked out about it being too big of a deal and it's getting reviewed and it's a Hollywood restaurant, I think that even more so we would have seen a similar reaction from a uh, from uh, this gentleman. Yeah. And by the way, if this is a big fancy restaurant, why are they? Why is the best chef they could recruit in the first place? This Randy, a guy who's afraid to be reviewed. Yeah, it's a good question. Well, no, I mean he, his confidence was really ruined by the the ketchup thing because it is all these years of chefing. Yes. Nobody has ever asked for a condiment before to yes. put on any food. But he also he says this is a Hollywood restaurant. It's going to be reviewed. Like the, I question the performance of the manager. Okay, sure, he can get a stain out of a couch. But he has not done a good job recruiting, like, any kind of a decent chef. If this guy's literally afraid of being reviewed, I mean, pizza shops get reviewed. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> so they still don't have a chef. Yeah, I once, uh, I once went to uh, a pizza shop with some of my friends, and apparently we, we ordered enough pizzas that uh, at the end, the, the guy asked us if we were food bloggers. Yeah. <laughs> We're like, no. Well, we're no of course we are. <laughs> yeah. The problem is now you can never tell because so many people at restaurants are taking pictures of their food because you have right. like this little Instagram culture. Yeah. So you never know, I guess, who – I'm sure that these people who are taking pictures, most of them have you know 200 followers on Instagram. But uh, there's also some who in their own heads are like important you know, rest, uh, restaurant reviewers. So. Right. And some of them might actually be. Yeah. Um, anyway, so uh, Larry and Cheryl are driving around. Cheryl wants to go get the uh, wedding present for Melanie and Ed. Larry comments that he loves how these people take their shopping carts, they bring them home with them, and then they leave them there. And I wrote in my notes, what is he talking about? Yeah, who are these people? <laughs> what, who are these people? People take the shopping carts home with them from where? So first of all, yeah. So this was before the time when shopping carts had like the, would automatically lock when you take it off the premises. Right. Yeah. The, the new shopping cart technology, you can't even do this. Right. They, yeah, they have like a sensor in them. They'll stop yeah. working. I will say in my parents' um, apartment building where they live, there is a – in Jerusalem, there is a shopping cart and has been there for you know 25 years. So you know, it predates the, the new technology of shopping carts also. There is a shopping cart in, the, in like the garage. And actually, actually no, not only that. When I was 
today, actually, I was looking at, at a, an apartment here in New Jersey for my in-laws who are considering moving here, and we actually saw a woman with a shopping cart in the hallway. And my wife asked her, or my wife asked the, the real estate agent and said, yeah, they actually, they have shopping carts in the basement, in the parking lot for that purpose, to bring it up. So there might be residences that supply their own shopping cart. Yeah, in my, in my yeah. building in uh, Riverdale, we had Yeah, that. the same thing. Okay. Yeah. No, yeah, but, but here it's like he's, yeah. he's accusing people of having taken them home from the stores, which given that this is California means they, drove. Yeah. they, put, the, right, they put the cart into their car with them. Yeah, what what is he make, talking about? I mean, okay, you'll see a homeless person occasionally on the streets in New York City who has a yeah, with a shopping cart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but, in the city, a lot of people use yeah. them because people are like going, you know, doing groceries and on foot. I think you either own a home or a stolen grocery shopping cart, but not both. And Larry seems really to be obsessed both. with people who have both. So Yeah. And again, this is just like a random throwaway. So the, yeah, that's one of the weirdest uh, things Larry has said in the series so far. All right. We'll ask Larry that when we get a chance to speak. Um, yeah. Anyway, so um, Larry says he doesn't like being the passenger. He wants to drive on the way home, even though it's Cheryl's car, because he feels like he has no personality in the passenger seat, which again, I don't know. I don't know what he's talking about. Yeah. Cheryl puts I, mean, on some music. I, I like driving more than being a passenger for sure. Yeah, I generally do. Although not, I like being on my phone, so that's good. That's also true. But, but when you're in the passenger seat with your wife, are you permitted to be on your phone or you have to like partake in the conversation? Um, yeah, I do a little bit of both. I probably, I probably don't do enough to like remain completely out of trouble, but enough that I'm happy with the overall you know, Yeah, exchange. I mean, the irony is when the roles are reversed – I'd rather if she went to sleep so that I can listen to a podcast. I'm not listening right. to podcasts when I'm driving if, if we're having conversations. So, <laughs> yeah, no, that's yeah, that's good. That's missed out. Yeah, driving should be podcast time, and it's yeah, and it should be at very high speeds. But yes, neither of those <laughs> things tends to happen. Um. So yeah. So she puts on the music. Turns out this is a tape by the singer Al Green that Brad lent to her. Larry hears the lyrics, which include the line, you ought to be with me. And he's saying, what's going on here? This is clearly another sign that he's trying to make a move on you. Yeah. Once again, Cheryl is dismissive, thinks Larry's being ridiculous. It's just a song. She, he obviously just thought I would like the song. Yeah. Cheryl is uh, very wrong here at this point. So uh, we head into the gift store and they're like looking around, wondering what to buy. Larry says, how about a bowl? Cheryl says, no, they probably already have a bowl because they registered somewhere else probably and they got a lot of stuff. Larry says, maybe a nice piece of fish. (laughs) Which made me laugh a lot when he said that. But honestly, I would rather have a nice piece of fish than a $250 bottle of wine. Yeah. Um, Cheryl I mean, says, you know yeah, what? Why don't, don't we just go? Really had one, but is there a big difference between a $250 bottle of wine and a $50 bottle of wine and a $20 bottle of wine that I'm going to notice? Honestly, yeah, so I'm not. But yeah, yeah, maybe they know that these are they're big wine people. Um, you buy, obviously, you for buy some an people, expensive bottle of wine so that the person will know how much the wine costs. Yeah. So you have to get it for someone who knows or just yeah, like, you know, or like accidentally co- forget to like take the sticker off or accidentally leave the receipt in the bag. You know, that yeah, kind of I mean, it could be like, you know, in the circles that Larry and Cheryl like are in, like. That's that's what people spend on wine. Who the hell knows? Like we're talking about these people are millionaires. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure they do. But it's just, yeah, don't give me. So I actually, somebody gave us, I don't know how long ago it was, because obviously we haven't had guests in this house in many, many months. But at some point in, in the past year or two, we had a guest over for some kind of meal and they gave us a bottle of wine, which I didn't recognize. And I wanted to just have a ballpark. So I knew if I was going to regift it, how much it was. So I, you know, I use like the little like scanner on my phone and to search like, you know, the price of this item. And I was expecting something in like the $25 range and it was a hundred dollars. 
And I feel bad because I have no recollection of who gave it to me. I'm like, well, who gave me a hundred dollar bottle of wine? But yeah, now I have. Don't. But now I have the reverse problem, which is and now again. Now I'm not going anywhere. But war, I don't really want to drink a hundred dollar bottle of wine because I won't appreciate it. But who can I gift it to? Like that I'm going to something that merits a hundred dollars worth of gift, but a bottle of wine would be sufficient because I feel like if you're going to spend that much money on a gift, it's somebody who would be disappointed with a bottle of wine. You know what I you mean? Could, you could give it to someone who like for like networking or something like that. In a professional like, setting? Yeah. Like someone who like you think would just appreciate a nice bottle of wine who, you know, maybe did something nice for you or yeah. you hope will do something nice for you in the future. That's what I save the not kosher wine that I get from other people at work for that purpose. I save that for regifting for that purpose. Well, maybe there's a uh, kosher person who fits that description that you yeah. can <laughs> get a, buy a bottle of wine for. So I have this little – I have a bottle of wine in, in my uh, cabinet in my dining room, and it costs 100 bucks. And I or just drink it. it. It'll, it'll probably be good. So whatever. I'm sure it will, but I, I won't appreciate it. And then I'll feel like I wasted the 100 you – know, Yeah, I, I've, I had, just, I've, I've yeah. had people – I've been in similar situations, and we just drink it, and it's good. And you know, I, I don't appreciate it more than I would like a $40 bottle of wine or even yeah. a $30 bottle of wine, but it's good. I think the answer is I save it for a meal when I'm the host of people who hopefully don't bring their own bottles of wine, who I know appreciate fine wine. So that I can yeah. impress them. Yeah, you could do that too, or just like yeah. save it for like uh, you're having a baby soon. So maybe at like the the Shalom Zachar or the yeah. or the well, Bris or something. Anymore, but yeah, yeah. Well, whatever. Maybe you do something yeah. small with your family. You could bring out a nice bottle of wine. Yeah. See, see, I would appreciate a good bottle of bourbon or scotch. Right. So I guess everyone has their own advice. Yep. Very true. So. Um, Cheryl heads out to uh, get the bottle of wine. Larry says he's going to stay here. Um, saleswoman, did you recognize this lady? Yeah, she's very obviously Sarah Silverman's sister. <laughs> yes, her name is Laura Silverman. Yeah. She's, she's Sarah a Silverman very sister. Sarah Silverman vibe. Yeah, and she offers to help Larry, but he says he's just browsing. She tells him the napkin rings are all 10% off. She <laughs> keeps trying to offer him different ways that she can be helpful, but Larry eventually just makes it clear, I'm not buying anything. Just please leave me alone and stop following me. She wonders why he's even here in the store if he's not buying anything. And he says, again, I'm just browsing. And she kicks him out of the store, which is a bit extreme. People should be allowed to browse in the store. Yeah, it was extreme in both directions. For somebody to insist that they have absolutely no interest in purchasing anything is a strange strategy when in a restaurant. Or a gift store. Or, yeah, or, or yeah, sorry. In a, <laughs> well, in any establishment that's selling goods. Um, yeah, I mean, she was coming on pretty hard for like a guy who's like, yeah, well, you know, she's clearly crazy. Yeah. Yeah. He says a couple times like, oh, no, thank you. I'm just yeah. browsing, which like if a saleswoman in a store kept like accosting me like that, I would probably eventually. But I don't think you say goal. I have no interest in any, I, I'm not going to buy anything. Yeah. Think, you yeah. just, I guess, would just like increasingly more tensely say, yeah, I'm good. Thanks. Until yeah. the person goes away. But in this case, he wasn't going away. So yeah, I, and then I think we've all had the overzealous, uh, salesperson before, obviously not to this extent. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like you, I mean, you want people to browse because sometimes they'll buy something. You don't kick them out of the store. Like the yes. very bad sales tactic. That, that, that is the model. Uh, when I was in Italy, um, my wife and I went to Italy for our honeymoon after we got married, and um, we 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 did not love Italy. Spoiler alert. Unfortunately, everyone else seems to love Italy. But really, we love Italy. It's the only place I've ever been where I thought the people were rude. Like I've I've been to France, which has a reputation, and I did not at all get that vibe. But we continue to have very bad luck with the people in Italy. And we were in a gift shop, a bookshop, actually, of a synagogue in Florence. And, uh-huh. I, and I, we were, I was looking at the books on the shelf. And, just, I mean, Italian culture is not the same as American culture in terms of browsing. That's certainly the case. And there were many shops, especially shops that sort of attract a tourist-type crowd that would have signs everywhere, don't touch, don't touch, don't touch. Because I guess they knew that the Americans were going to come in and touch stuff. 
So I can respect all that, that it's different culturally. But this is a bookstore. And I took a book off the shelf and I was reading the back of it to see, is this book I'd be interested in purchasing? And a woman comes up to me and says, excuse me, what are you doing? And I said, oh, um, I'm just looking at this book. And she said, you're not just looking, you're also touching. <laughs> and I said, oh, I'm sorry. You know, I just wanted to, to see if I'm interested in purchasing it. And she's like, if you would like to read the book, then you should purchase the book first. Oh, they, and, they flagged it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I, I guess they, they had seen me not wash my hands out of the bathroom earlier that day. So, yeah. Um, but it was insane. Like, I couldn't touch a book at a bookstore. How do you decide if you want to buy a book? You, you literally have to judge a book by its cover or by its spine even. Right. So they're very bad book sales. Per yeah. So we, we went to Italy for our baby moon and my wife got like extremely sick on the plane on the way there. She was like vomiting like the last couple hours of the flight. So point that they literally said that like when we land, like we're taking her straight to the hospital because right. we told her that there, she's pregnant. Like she's like pregnant really was sick. She? Um, like four months, five months, like in the middle. Okay. Um, so the, the they, part of the curve. So they like took her to the hospital. They told me, you still have to go through customs because, like, you don't have, like, an emergency clearing. They, like, wrote down, like, in Italian, like, the name of the hospital. And they're like, here, here's this piece of paper. Go find her later. So they and separate I, you guys. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. They took her in an ambulance. They told me, you have to, like, go with your passport and do the, everything. I had to go get all the bags. Like, I went out to, like, uh, a cab. I'm like, hey, can you take me to this place? Like, I, I don't know if this place is, you know, 10 minutes or six hours. Like, they didn't tell me anything. Yeah. Like, Was this I, in I the era when you had, like, cell phones that worked in like a foreign country um, yes but it didn't work well like oh, it wasn't okay. it wasn't helpful in this situation like i couldn't get onto wi-fi like it wasn't good yeah. um anyway so we get like, we get there and like they like put her on they're like okay she's okay like she's doing okay um like don't worry about it. the baby's fine they're like oh by the way do you know what you're having we're like no they said oh it's a girl See, Italians are rude. Yeah, Italians have their way of doing things. Like, <laughs> it didn't even occur to them to ask us, do you, oh, do you want to know? I mean, we were going to probably find out anyway, but that, then it was like, oh, well, yeah. thanks. It's a good story, though. Yeah, it was very so, funny. Yeah. yeah. I, I can assure you my, uh, my oldest daughter has heard this story already like 100 times. Probably. She's, yeah. she's already sick of it. Yeah. Um, anyway, so where are we? We had just, Larry just got kicked out of the car, out of the store. By Laura out of the store, right. Yeah. Um, He's in the car with Cheryl. Yeah, so they get back into the car, and Cheryl says, why don't we go drop off the gift at Melanie and Ed since we're already in their neighborhood? Yeah, she and... bought a $300 bottle because the guy said it was a good one. She doesn't even know right. what it is. Yeah. Cheryl's Hello, phone is it new? I never heard of it. <laughs> Cheryl's phone rings, and who is it? Of course, it's Brad. And yeah. she puts him on speakers, uh, and she announces Larry's in the car. She, Which is, uh, by the asked, way, Cheryl is completely correct about speakerphone etiquette. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's also, but it's also, you know, Larry's correct that it well, looks suspicious. Well, the way that she does it is highly suspicious. But the natural, but like my wife and her entire family is awful at this. They never warn you when they're on speaker who's in the room. And the worst part about this of all was that we were planning a surprise birthday party for my mother-in-law last summer, and my father-in-law, when I would call him to discuss it. He'd usually be in his car driving, and he would not tell me the time, like, until I had to start figuring out and asking, oh, is mom in the car? He wouldn't even tell me that. Like, he knows I'm calling to discuss a surprise party, and he doesn't tell me that the person who the surprise is about is in the car. It's, like, complete insanity. Yeah, those testers. 
No, these are Gonics. Oh, these are the Gonics. Yeah. These don't, are the Dr. Jens. Yeah, don't get me started. Like, <laughs> speakerphone etiquette is when you answer a phone and you're on speaker, you let the person who's calling know before they, you know, issue a string of expletives or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Thinking. You say, hey, I'm putting you on speaker. Yeah, yeah. that's fine. And um, this was a lesson, by the way, in Seinfeld where Jerry would routinely, and other characters, would come into his apartment and start playing on speaker for everyone to hear the messages on his answering machine, and invariably they would cause a negative effect with the person in the room. Usually, yeah, we had it in Curb, one of the first episodes. Uh, yes. Jeff does that to Larry, and he yeah. he makes the Holocaust joke, and yeah. uh, Jeff's parents get very upset. It's, yeah. Uh, oh yeah, we did discuss that on this podcast already. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, so yeah. so yeah, Larry again is having fun teasing Cheryl, but Cheryl did the correct thing. Yeah, because Brad um, was about to start, you know, saying sweet nothing. <laughs> Brad asks if Cheryl's uh, coming to see the show. Um, Larry interjects and says, I'm coming too. Brad, uh, Brad does sound a little disappointed. Yeah. <laughs> um, he, asks, uh, he asks Larry if he's still looking for a chef. He suggests his friend Paul, who's a chef at the Alsace restaurant, and suggests that how about you come to the show and afterwards we'll all go over to the restaurant and give it a shot. And if you like Paul, maybe you'll hire him. Now, Alsace, wasn't this the one from previous episodes last season? Was it? I don't know. Was, was, that, was that the one at the hotel or no? No, I don't think so. Oh, okay. I could be wrong, but I don't think so. Yeah, because it, it definitely looked different. As far as we know, Jeff is still uh, uh, living in that hotel, though? As far as we know, but yeah, yeah. We, we don't know. Um, well, we know, yeah, we know he's still not living at home because he was like only – he had to like steal the cookies from home like, when yeah. he was like dropping off Sammy. He doesn't live there. Um, what, do you see what she's dealing with here? Yeah. <laughs> so after they hang up, Larry wonders why they do say Larry's in the car, as if it was a warning not to say anything <laughs> dirty or incriminating in front of him. Cheryl says that's just common practice when, some, when putting someone on speaker, which it is, but yeah. it could also be suspicious given the right circumstances. Also, practice wasn't as common back then because the speakerphone, the car phone, these were all relatively new technologies. In yeah, but Cheryl, Cheryl's an early adopter, and she figured out quickly what you're supposed to do with yeah. uh, a speakerphone. Yeah, well, especially so, with Brad's calling. All of a sudden, they, uh, they, Larry sees that there's a cop behind him, and he's getting pulled over. The cop says, asks him for a license and uh, registration. Larry says, can you tell me what I did? He says, I actually absolutely could. All of a sudden, though... The uh, the woman gets out of the car in front of him, and it is Laura Silverman again, saying that she called the cops because Larry is clearly following him, following her around town in his car. Yeah, this um, is complete insanity. This is yeah, this woman is crazy. This, like, how did she even realize it was him? Yeah, like I guess she could have like looked at her rearview mirror. But I do love sort of the mutual stalking of like who's stalking who, and no one's really sure. <laughs> right. Well. I Larry's pretty sure. clear. Yeah. yeah, Larry's not stalking anybody. Yeah, but but, clearly... but but from the police officer's perspective, from the third party perspective. Yeah, I mean, from the police, like the police officer's perspective, like there's nothing you could do to Larry here. Like just a woman saying, "Oh, he's following me," and him saying, "No, I'm not." What are you talking about? But then he starts arguing with her. No, you are following me. Like, he, <laughs> asked, he he doth protest too much. Right. I mean, yeah, he should just say, "I don't know who this woman is." But Larry's one of Larry's specialties is getting in trouble when he's done nothing wrong. Yeah, he 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 volunteers information. Yeah. Um. So he, uh, she warns Larry that if my husband finds out about this, you're going to be in big trouble. Larry pretends to be all scared and shaking in his boots. Yeah. <laughs> so we. Uh, and th- they- this is very similar to the last episode when uh, the neighbor warned that the next guy. Right, would, the next guy. He's yeah. going to kick your ass. Um, so they continue on to Melody and Ed's house. They arrive. They wonder if maybe we should have called first. Um, they open the door. They give the gift. They apologize for being late. And what do Melody and Ed do? They reject the gift. <laughs> the scene say, is completely insane and also hilarious. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they say 12 months is the cutoff. After 12 months, you cannot give a gift, and therefore we cannot accept this gift. Yes. You would do the same thing, Larry, she <laughs> says. Larry is enraged by this. He says, 
You had no problem taking the $200 engagement vase. We got you. You had no problem with the shower gift, the nightgown. That was okay. Then we flew to Chicago for your little wedding bash. You're into us now for about $5,500 as I see it. Yeah. She's deeply insulted by it being referred to as a little wedding bash. A little wedding. She says yeah. there was over 260 people there. Yeah. Um, and if so, that you really didn't want to come. Why did you come? Larry says, Cheryl put a gun to my head. Yeah. Melanie's not buying it. She says, no, you came because you wanted to. And I'm yeah. sorry, we can't accept a gift after 12 months. But even I am not above the policy. Yes. Uh, I just, she, you would do the same, Larry. And then, she, and then she ends with, next time, call. Next time, call. <laughs> amazing scene. Yeah. Larry. Uh, Larry but amazing. Yeah. He, put, he like, picks up the bottle and says, by the way, do you have anybody there to clean up this mess I'm about to make? <laughs> yeah. That was quite a serious threat, by the way. <laughs> yeah. What's he going to smash the $300 bottle of wine? That would be stupid. <laughs> uh, you think Larry cares? Yeah, I guess he doesn't care. I mean, spike, Jerry happily burnt, uh, you know, dollar bills on the streets of Manhattan and Seinfeld 10 years before, right? Yeah, and Larry's much, point, uh, yeah, much richer than Larry. Larry will happily destroy a $300 bottle of wine. Yeah. He opens a Spike coffee shop, for God's sake. <laughs> um, so we're at the play. Larry and Cheryl are standing outside. Cheryl says, maybe, Larry, you should have worn a sports coat because everyone here seems to be wearing sports coats, except some of the people are not. But then Cheryl says, maybe those are the actors. But anyway, Larry heads out to the bathroom. Brad comes in and decides to uh, stay in character as Tony, or not as Tony, as uh, a different, the guy who's in love with Tina, not Tony. Um, he asks Larry, are you from Tony's side or from Tina's side? Larry's like, ha ha, okay, Brad. Uh, Brad plays dumb. He says he doesn't know who's this Brad guy. He continues to stay in character. He says, he's from Tina's side, and it's really a shame because I'm so close with Tina, but she's going to marry that jerk, and she doesn't even love him. She's only marrying him for his money. Tina really loves me, unlike that cocksucker Tony, and eventually, we're going to end up together. Yeah. Larry, obviously, is not, you know... And he's going to slipper his uh, formidable sauces. Yes. He, uh, he doesn't think this is very funny. He assumes Brad is uh, talking about Cheryl here because yeah. all, the, uh, all the things kind of line up. Uh, he starts getting a little hostile and he says, well, you know, we'll see you later at the restaurant. He storms out. Brad seems to think Larry is very weird. So it doesn't seem like Brad was in on the joke. He just was kind of doing his shit. Yeah. I think that the implication of everything that happens in the episode is that it all is just a massive coincidence, but that it's reasonable of Larry to suspect that. it's Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. But yeah, I think we're supposed to think Brad is just a nice guy. Yeah, I love I love when Larry sarcastically says, by the way, when when Brad starts with it, is there anything funnier than shtick in the bathroom? <laughs> um, okay, so we uh, we're at the Alsace restaurant. Which, by the way, I have used that line in the bathroom before. Oh yeah, yeah, shtick in the bathroom. Shtick is good everywhere, but you know, in the bathroom it could be extra funny. Yeah, although it, um, it does come with a higher risk when you're exposed. Yeah. Um, so they're at the, at the dinner table at the restaurant and Cheryl tells Jeff and Ted that they missed a great show and Brad was great. Jeff suggests the entire, they order the entire menu to try. You see, a fat guy knows how to order food at a restaurant. Yes. But this is what they should have done at the other trial. That is what you do when you're tri- obviously. Yeah. 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 At least um, order every, a, a, a trick that I've been taught, maybe by you, I don't know, by somebody recently, when you go to a restaurant, like a new restaurant, don't even worry about the mains. Ignore the mains. Just get a bunch of appetizers. Yeah, I like doing that. I don't know if I'm the one who told you that, but yeah, I like doing that. You you get more variety. You get better food usually, and also it's like that. That's where you're more likely to get something different that you don't have all the time. Like yeah, like I've had a million steaks. I'm sure it's very good at this restaurant, but like a, it's going to cost like eighty bucks, and b, whatever, it's a steak. I'm sure it'll be very good. I've had other good steaks. I'd rather try like some like new like duck roll or something like that that you don't you're not going to eat at home. Um, so yeah, so 
Ted says, why don't we get some wine? Cheryl says, well, wouldn't you know, I have this really fancy bottle that I brought with us. They asked the waiter to open it for them. Uh, they're telling the story about Melanie and Ed and the gift and how crazy they were. And they all toast the lopes together. All of a sudden, a guy accosts Larry. He starts attacking him. We see that it's Laura Silverman's husband, who assumes Larry is still following her. And that's why he's in this restaurant. Although, like, this is a very weird way to follow her by, like, being with an entire group of people sitting listen, at a restaurant. LA is a, is a one-restaurant town. One it's restaurant a one-hotel town. town. One hotel. One, yeah. Although we know there's two, two restaurants because there's a restaurant in Jeff's that's Hotel. But, yeah, but there's only true. one hotel. Yeah. Although I guess there's two hotels because we know Larry tried that hotel in Jeff's Hotel. Okay, so there's two, it's a two-hotel, yeah. two-restaurant town. Yeah. So, uh, which is very bad luck when you're not stalking somebody, but they think that you are. Yeah. So the husband grabs Larry, this knocks over the wine. Brad immediately runs for the club soda and salt. As the husband is yelling at Larry, Brad starts rubbing the soda and salt all over Cheryl, Cheryl's boobs. Yes. And Larry is kind of like looking both ways between, should I be focusing more on the husband who's kicking my ass or the woman who got the man who is rubbing his hands all over my wife's bosom. Yeah. The handiness of Brad in the scene had me laughing very, very hard. I also think that the, there is a possible alternative on, uh, interpretation of this episode, which is that Cheryl and Brad are having an affair. First of all, where does Brad know about the club soda and salt from? He must have learned it from Cheryl, who learned it from Larry, even though she's... Or he just, maybe he just knows it from life. Yeah, well, okay, but the implication of this episode is that this is a thing, this is an old uh, restaurant trick that the manager taught Larry that no one else knows, and then Larry teaches Cheryl, who pretends not to care, but actually she uses it later to impress her lover, and then her lover, when, when the spill happens, forgets that he's not supposed to admit to this knowledge in front of Larry and just, you know, jumps into action. And also this explains why he's so free to rub her bosom so aggressively because he's already he's done it so many times before that it's not even unusual to him. I hear it. I, I think we're supposed to think Brad is just like an awesome guy who doesn't even realize right now that he's, he's rubbing on the boobs because he's yeah. just like so focused on saving the day with the, so, the club soda and salt. Right. So apparently we're going to have different opinions for worst person in this episode because yeah, I, I, so. I, I read Brad very differently. Okay. Yeah, and we're going to come out very differently on him then. Okay. What is your rating? So this episode was, I would say, the best episode since we had the Shack baptism episodes um, at the towards the end of season two. Okay. This was pretty, 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 pretty good. I'm giving it four. Four oh, pretty. Very nice. Uh, yeah, I'm not quite as high on you. This is kind of just like a very middle of the road episode for me. I, it has its moments. There's a few very funny scenes, but I I didn't think it was like great beginning to the end. Uh, the storylines are a little weird. The character, the side characters are a little bit too zany. Um, that's like my, my least favorite are where like the other characters just like gaslight, gaslight Larry. I hate those episodes. Not that, not that I hate the episodes. I don't like those storylines. I like it better when Larry's the crazy one. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I like the scene with the, with the, with the newlyweds who reject the gift. Yeah. That seems very funny. Yeah. Uh, which is an example of that where Larry's clearly the less crazy one. Yeah. That and one's then, still funny. Yeah. And then, and then again, the last scene, I, I'm laughing very, very hard. So, yeah, and I just, so, there's so many lines. I love when he talks about slipping her his formidable sausage. <laughs> Yeah, so I'm going to give it pretty, pretty, pretty good. Three out of five, meaty part of the curve, solid good episode. Yeah, okay, that's fine. Who is your come with guy? My come with guy is Brad. Brad is amazing. Brad is, uh, he's in a show. He makes mixtapes for just his friends who he just, he just has platonic feelings for. He is a, you know, a come with guy to hook people up for restaurants with, with chefs. He plays tennis. 
Uh, yeah, he just like, and, and he saves the day at the end by uh, rushing to heroically to get the club soda and salt to clean up the wide from Cheryl. So yeah, Brad is a lot of fun. And he, uh, the what well, we 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 forgot to mention the the Tony and Tina scene in the bathroom is also very funny. Yes, that's a great scene, um, and that's why my come with guy is clearly Brad and his formidable sausage. All right, oh, okay, so we agree on Brad as come with, uh, but it sounds like you may have Brad as your worst person as well. Brad is, of course, the worst person. He's trying to cuck Larry. And even if you don't think that, he certainly assaults Cheryl. I mean, it's actually better that he's having an affair with Cheryl than that he's assaulting her, basically, like grabbing her in a a very handsy way they shouldn't. What it actually reminds me of is, do you remember, uh, you saw A Serious Man, of course, right? Of course. Okay. So the Fred Malamud character who's having the affair. Yeah. And like, he's just like, he's like, so like dismissive of yeah, Larry. It's like, it's like, there's also Larry, right? When you're cucking somebody. Yeah. Larry Gopnik. Yeah. Yeah. When you're, cu- when you're cucking somebody so hard that you'll <laughs> actually be friends with, you'll do them favors while like, usually if you're having sex with someone's wife, I would assume I've never had sex with someone else's wife. You, you avoid them. Yeah. Like you, you would not want to hang out with the guy who you're having sex with his wife behind his back. I would, again, Never had sex with someone's wife behind their back. Although now it's already not behind his back anymore, so he's probably just like, you know, he's maybe yeah, as well embrace it. That's the point. But when you're so dismissive of them, it's like an it's like a cuck times ten. Where you're like, I'm so dismissive of you that I'm actually I have sympathy for you, so I'm going to do you a favor. I'm going to give you like advice, uh, like whatever uh, Malama does in that movie, or here yeah. where he's like, oh, I'm going to help your restaurant because I don't hate you. Like you know, we both enjoy the same passions. Uh, your wife. Yes. <laughs> so yeah, to me, Brad clearly the worst person. Yeah, so I, I think the worst person is uh, the unnamed uh, Sarah Silverman's sister, Laura Silverman, who is a complete psycho, um, completely mistreats a customer, then calls the cops because she happens to see him, then freaks out because she went to the res- same restaurant as him. Complete nut job. Very, very crazy character. So she's the worst person. She calls the cops on him like, the, like a Karen would. Yeah, okay. Yeah, it is very Karen-esque behavior. Yeah, I don't think there's really we really have any famous actors or celebrities in this episode. I don't think Laura. Yeah, Silverman she's counts. probably yeah, she's probably the most famous, honestly. <laughs> yeah, and even Sarah was uh, not very famous at this time, let alone Laura. Yeah, I don't, I don't think anyone else here. Uh, Should we go to the postman? Uh, postman, uh, postman, uh, come uh, here. here Tell the neighborhood. Let's hit up the postman. We have two emails this week from the postman. The first one from Zach Brooks. He says. Since there aren't mixtapes anymore, what's the 2020 equivalent that you'd be bothered if some random dude gave your wife? Well, his formidable sausage would be number one. Yeah, no formidable sausage. No mediocre sausage. There's no sausage at all. You yeah. Keep the sausage to yourself. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. Do people like send people just like, a song? Oh, I guess you could do like a TikTok, right? Like if you said, like if you did like a TikTok. Well, but no, you can make someone uh, uh, like a Spotify playlist. Right. I did that for my wife in like the early days of iTunes. Like we were after burning CDs, so I would make her playlists right. to put on her. This was like for her iPod, I guess, at the time. Yeah. Okay. Um, he says he should try Club Soda and Salt sometime. Probably would be good with tequila, too. Too bad this episode wasn't very good, funny, or logical. Oh. And he gives it 2.5 pretties good. So he's kind of a great inflation because if he's giving 2.5 to an episode he doesn't even like. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe even the worst Curb episodes are still okay. Yeah. Um, okay, and then we have one more email from Olin Allen. He writes, a reasonable standard episode. It picked up as it went along with some good confrontations and a wonderful ending. The final shot of Brad cleaning the stain from Cheryl's cleavage with Larry staring on as he's being held by the shop lady's husband was wonderful. 
Fair play to Cheryl, the actress, too, for being so game and playing it wonderfully. Ted and Jeff staring across as well after giving this salt was hilarious. Ted definitely observing a bit too intently. Was a kind of callback to that first episode with Cheryl letting Brad know Larry was in the car to when Larry didn't know Jeff's parents were in the car. Yeah, good job. Did we mention in the past episode as well how quickly Jeff relinquished from stating he would give up red meat? Oh, very true. <laughs> well, he didn't give well, he had no reason. Yeah. So, yeah. So we, yeah, we assumed Jeff was full of it. Yeah. Uh, villain of the week is Laura Silverman. Felt like she could have been a contender. Oh, sorry. Laura Silverman felt like she could have been a contender. She could have had a class. She could have had class, etc. But I would have had to get very conspiratorial that she was preempting where Larry was driving and knowing what restaurant she was at. Maybe she has the same psychic as Cheryl. Anyway, I'll take it as a series of coincidences that could legitimately freak her out. I guess that's fair. So instead, I will go for Ted Danson as the villain, telling his Ooh. chef it was an audition and trying to use that to pressure Larry and Jeff to accept him and forcing Larry to tell him the bad news. Yeah, tell, forcing Larry to tell him the bad news I thought was not cool since it's like his connection and like he had to be aware of the fact that it was a possibility that they wouldn't like the food. Yeah, but to, to say that's worse than Brad, I, again, I guess just Olin saw the episode very differently than I did. Yeah, uh, come with guy. He says Jim Stahl as the restaurant manager for being so cool and cheerful about the state and also sharing his mechanism to clear it up proudly. He gives it 3.5 pretty goods out of five. Okay, so right in between you and I there. That's right. Yep. All right, next week, uh, The Nanny from Hell, one of my favorite episodes ever. Um, it has my favorite curb line of all time. Or, or well, let me, if not my favorite line from Curb, it's certainly the one I use the most frequently. Uh, in fact, in the early days of Facebook, when you would have like a profile and like you'd have like stuff about yourself. So one thing was um, quotes. You'd have like famous quotations. And my quotation on Facebook for many, many years was a line that Larry David says in this episode. So I, I uh, greatly enjoy that. And I'm very excited for next week's podcast. All right. Me too. I'm excited to see what the line is because I don't know. Okay. Um, we also will have Sherry O'Terry. Sherry O'Terry, by the way, an example of somebody who, outside of SNL, really not much of a, I mean, Chris Kattan, another example, really not much of a career to talk about. But when she was on SNL, like, it was her and Will Ferrell. I mean, she on SNL was... Pretty, 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 pretty good. 